0: Broadcasting from the UNMC College of Nursing, get ready for R.N. Huddle, the podcast dedicated to bringing hot topics for and by nurses to the table.
1: Hello there and welcome to this episode of R.N. Huddle. This is your host, Heidi Keeler, coming to you from the great state of Nebraska. And today we are launching a new series, a new quarterly series. And we are partnering with the Mid-America Mental Health Technology Transfer Center, which is housed right here at UNMC in the Monroe-Meyer Institute. And this entity really is doing some fantastic work in the area of mental health, behavioral health, and all things that support this practice. And what they're doing is just so relevant to the rest of us that we just figured we would bring their work to you and help you to integrate it into your practice. So joining us today, we have Renee Pollan, who is our co-host of RN Huddle, and she's gonna lead the discussion with Dr. Hannah West and Dr. Jordan Thayer, who have put together quite an amazing curriculum that they want to share with you today. So let's not waste another second. Let's get started.
2: Welcome to RN Huddle. This is your co-host Renee Pollan. And today we'll be discussing the what, why, and how of professional well-being, with a focus in the context of nursing. Our experts with us are Drs. Hannah West and Jordan Thayer. Dr. West is a psychologist and regional trainer for the Mid-America Mental Health Technology Transfer Center, or what you'll be hearing, MHTTC, and a behavioral health provider at Sunflower Pediatric Behavioral Health in Shawnee, Kansas. She has been a great resource to many schools and other organizations to create system-level changes to match resources to needs. Also today, we have Dr. Jordan Thayer. Um, He is a trauma-focused cognitive behavioral psychologist who is also with MHTTC, where he assists with program development and consultation, as well as provides his expertise between clinical practice within the school and pediatric clinical settings. Within the past year, he is now shifting his focus more towards organizational well-being. So welcome to you both. Hi, thank you so much for having us today.
3: Yeah, it's a great morning to be here.
2: We are so lucky to have both of you as guests today on our very important topic of well-being. And I know one's well-being is essential to keep tabs on and Maybe even more so these days, related to the various crises this past year or so, whether it be known nationally, locally, or even personally. And yet many of these crises are encountered by our healthcare workers from various angles. So, with that said, let's first talk about what? What is professional well-being to our healthcare workforce versus well-being in general?
3: Yeah. So if we talk definitions, it's really interesting. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can talk about well-being, and I think different ways that people might interpret it. And so I, I can speak kind of for like myself a little bit, and I think Dr. West as well, is that we have a very particular take on what that is. And so broadly, well-being has multiple dimensions to it. And this is something that's been picked up by the CDC as well as other organizations, that well-being is more or less this like holistic idea that is made up of like financial well-being, spiritual well-being, physical well-being. And so it's these aspects of your health that all integrate to kind of describe your general feeling. So there's also like social well-being and slash relational um, community, how well you feel like you belong to a group of people. And that's kind of beyond the idea of just like relationships, but do you feel like you belong within your, your it could be within your workforce, within your neighbors and uh, neighborhood and things like that. And so professional well-being is, uh, is a sliver of that. And some people, some models kind of call it occupational well-being. Mm-hmm. And yet it's also bigger at the same time, because we kind of take this angle of professional well-being is also like some sort of a kind of like an almost like an ethical imperative by organizations nowadays to address. And so it takes on, I think, more of kind of an, an agenda term now where it's not just are you good in your work, but how is your work also supporting you? That's kind of where the angle that we've taken that at least.
2: I didn't even think about the ethical. Yeah, that would make it very complex. I didn't think about that. That's interesting. We'll have to dive more into that. But Dr. West, did you have anything to add to that? Maybe from your experiences, have recent stressors in patients or clientele changed in the past year or so? Or are they just accumulating? I mean, uh, both. Just yes. Um,
0: I know I work with uh, in my in the private practice world, I work with children and adolescents, and we're seeing so many more children and adolescents coming in with anxiety and depression, and that is just based on the changes that they've experienced in the last year, and I think that they're not alone in experiencing those changes. <laughs> when we think about um, especially the world of healthcare workers, they have experienced so many changes over this last year in the In the way that they do their day-to-day jobs, Um, just the accumulation of patients uh, with COVID, especially if you're working on the COVID floor, you're potentially seeing more severe symptoms, death at higher rates than you may have in the past, and then just the fact that for our safety, there are so many more restrictions in place um, that impact that day-to-day life of a healthcare worker, and then the patients that they're seeing. So when we're thinking about that world of professional well-being this year, more so than any other, but definitely something that's been going on forever, is that it is impacting, not like our professional world impacts our personal life, it impacts us in ways that, while it's always been the case, it may be more readily apparent now. Right. uh, That these changes are impacting us all across those various domains of well-being.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I almost want to say it's like a, a trickle effect. Like it just, it, it starts somewhere and then it just, I don't know, you have a term for that? <laughs> it just um, evolves and it, it can affect, like you said, organization um, mm-hmm. at a higher level. And mm-hmm. I'm sure uh, Dr. Thayer, you said you've been focused on this. Yep. Um, in the past year. What have you seen?
3: Yeah. So I think the the word that i like to throw out there with what Dr. West was just describing is cascades, right? Like there you go. something something yes. happens and it just cascades. It impacts us as providers and it impacts our patients, but then we take it home and it's impacting families and friends. Um, and we, you know, we adopt an ecological model. So we very much view like the, a person's at the center of like a bunch of these potential circles of influence and When you have, you know, just like the one individual with all of this other stuff going on around them, it's like all those things start interacting. It's like creates this really complex, I think, network of just how stuff is building up on people. I'm just gonna say (laughs) there's there's no Mm -hmm. eloquent way to say that. And so organizational well-being, the reason why that's been a focus, especially for this year, obviously, because of COVID, um, that I think that just brought well-being to the forefront, but Mm -hmm. that's Certainly, it's not like it came out of nowhere. And I, and I know we can kind of talk about that a little bit more, but it's definitely been a concern. And the thing about organizational well-being, I think, is you can think of it in two ways. You can either just like look at it as like the aggregate of how is everybody doing within like a hospital clinic, right? Is, is everyone feeling generally okay? Are they healthy? Cool. We can define organizational well-being then as like the organization as a whole is healthy. That's one way to look at it. I think the other way to look at it, though, is kind of going back to that professional well-being like agenda definition is what is the organization doing to support well-being? And that, I think, is more important because, I don't know, I've been reading about this. I'm sure you two have as well. There's just a within the news and kind of like popular discussion, there's so much more emphasis now on systems and what systems are doing for people and how systems create opportunities or restrict opportunities for individuals. And the discussion around well-being, though, has for a long time been like, "Are you breathing well? <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, are you are you putting down, you know, the pizza and eating a salad?" And it's just like it puts it all on the on the individual. And I think it's just time that we really start saying, "Yes," and w- what are our systems actually doing, and how are they kind of leading to it? So, when it comes to the healthcare workforce. Yeah, what what is like a clinic doing to actually support the health of their employees beyond just saying like we, you know, do well.
2: (laughs) Right. And I I noticed a lot of during the COVID, a lot of organizations, uh, you know, offering counseling and kind of really encouraging, having different strategies, like, you know, available 24 seven, or those type of things for a call, just making it more aware of it, they may have already had those services, but there was a real push for that. um, So a lot of organizations were really concerned for the healthcare workers in this time of crisis. What I want to ask you guys is, when you're providing your consultation services, what is the first component of well-being that you assess? What do you look for? How do you approach that?
3: Want to take that, Dr. West?
2: Sure. So we
0: have a, and Dr. There, you may have to remind me the names. We have a few different checklists or um, kind of a way to start thinking about this from an organizational perspective so having the leadership involved is a must Mm -hmm. so you know we have to approach this with the leadership and one of the first activities that can really just kind of get leadership thinking about what are they asking their staff their employees what are they asking them to do and it's just this activity about what is on their plate so if you think about um, nurses for example, if you think about in your organization, what are you asking your nurses to do every day? What mm-hmm. is their responsibility? And is it a full plate? Uh, yes, it is. Is it an overflowing plate? Yes. yes. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. And so once as, a, as leadership, um, as administration, you're able to lay that out, then you start looking at these, especially these high stress times, but really looking at what can be cut down, what needs to be prioritized, and where does well-being fit into that plate? If it is this, maybe it's not even on it. Maybe it's like left at the buffet line. Um, so how do we get it on the plate? And like then it with is, this, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yeah. if it is there. So like you said, many of these organizations had some of these resources, uh, but maybe people weren't using them, or they're you know not known. And so maybe it's this little sliver. And so how do we get that to be a proportionate part of the plate? Mm-hmm. That can support our staff.
2: Right. And also listening to them, right. And seeing how can we fill your needs, which I'm I'm sure a lot of it, you know, just piling up of the tasks and amidst COVID even more. I just, yeah.
3: Yeah. One thing that I've been pushing a little bit is I think at least for the short term, other than tracking high risk and like high concerning mm-hmm. indicators of burnout. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you know, for example, there's attempts, suicide attempts, um, and ideation has gone up in the healthcare workforce this mm-hmm. year. And so, like, definitely tracking that and using that as an indicator of just, again, like high risk needs is really important. And also trying to get organizations to shift away a little bit, at least right now, from assessing well being only at the individual level and thinking it more about the processes that they need to be assessing and getting involved in a quality improvement process. Um, and so that's really kind of, I think, where a lot of the assessment comes from. So some of the checklists that Dr. West was talking about are things like just the organizational self-care checklist, which is just breaks down certain practices that an organization can be doing in five to six dimensions or domains, and then just asking, are you doing these things? And that shifts the focus away from what I think can sometimes happen of like, oh, we've got all of these like individual level outcomes. How do we like bring down intentions to leave the field, and coming up with short term band aid solutions to bring that metric down, mm-hmm. and instead shifting more towards what's the long term game, and what's what's the organization going to do to kind of put in processes that prevent this, and that, and we get those reductions in stressors as a byproduct of doing good processes. So that's kind of where some of this stuff is trying to go with some of these assessments so we talk a lot about culture and climate those are two different kind of things and how can organizations understand the culture of well-being as well as their climate of well-being and just like there's a, a large emphasis on that at the front end
2: that makes sense yeah it's just taking that step back and like you said not necessarily looking at the individual but looking at the organization because from there Instead of saying my trickle word, the cascade effect of yeah, right. at the individual front. So what are some examples that you have seen, maybe individual organizations well being, what stress factors could be eliminated or strategies for resilience? Or what is the difference? Yeah, I think, you know, just thinking about
0: stress and resilience first. When we think about well-being, when we think about what resilience means, it is not getting rid of all stresses, right? Right. Because by very definition, resilience is you know being able to thrive, being able to um, continue and push through in the face of stress, in the face of adversity. And so when we think about that word resilience, we think there has to be some level of stress, uh, but it's finding that optimal level and so when we're thinking about what we're putting on and what we're doing where does it fall in that stress level are we putting so much on people that they have exhausted all of their resources Mm -hmm. or are we putting it up there that they have some challenges and then are able to use those internal and external resources to thrive in the face of those challenges Mm -hmm. and so when we think about and i think the organizational piece is very very important it can't be understated or overstated mm-hmm. um but it is that yes and there is some responsibility for well-being still on us as individuals as dr thayer was saying earlier you know it is breathing and eating a salad and <laughs> getting enough sleep and like we can't breathe ourselves through everything um yeah. but we can when we're faced with some of these adversities, some of these stresses, we can use some of those individual resiliency skills Mm -hmm. to help move our way through and get through successfully. Mm -hmm. And what do you have to add to that?
3: Uh, Just on the breathing thing, you know, so I work mostly with teenagers and it's so fun when they're just like, they come in, they share a stressor and I'm like, okay, what are we going to do about it? And they're just like, don't tell me a breeze. Like, please just, just don't. And I'm like, but it's actually probably like the most beneficial thing you can do in most instances. (laughs) Like it's the body's built in natural stress reducer. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, it's helpful. And yes, yes. And to use Dr. West's little phrase there because it's that and more. And so So you kind of get at your question of what's the difference between these. Again, I'll I'll kind of apply the organizational level. If we take Dr. West was was saying about the individual where we have stressors and we also have resilience resources, which are internal, like our own ability to self-soothe and kind of work through our own thoughts and get distance from our thoughts and things like that, as well, external resources um, for resilience, which are like our social supports and activities that we might do. We can take those and blow them up to the organizational level and look at, well, what are the demands that an organization is placed upon their workforce that creates stress. What are certain, um, the processes and procedures, the way in which maybe employees have to document a documentation, I think is going to be a huge one for a lot of us. Like that's a pain in the butt. Um, mm-hmm. And certain systems are going to make that a bigger pain or a lesser pain. And so that's a stressor, right? Organizations can also do things like, yes, provide healthy options, get people breaks, allow people to um, have maybe programs and, that they can engage in at the workforce. You know, Sometimes they have like workout facilities on-site where you can go and join a class in the middle of your day. And so those are the two different approaches. You have, they can support well-being practices, those resilience factors, or an organization can reduce the stressors. And most of the efforts you were talking earlier about providing EAPs, employee assistance programs, so on-site counselors... That's a well-being promoter, right? That's like going to talk to somebody, connecting with somebody, working through those resilience factors, those internal things. That's not a stress reducer. And so as Dr. West was saying, there's only so much we can do on benefiting a a workforce's resilience before it just can't handle the stress anymore. And I think we would argue shouldn't. And organizations need to just reduce the stressors. Like that should be the new focus, getting rid of stuff that is redundant, taking things off that plate. Or changing up how things are being done. Listen to your workforce. And if they're telling you this thing doesn't work for us,
2: mm-hmm.
3: change just change it. <laughs> so
2: simple um, as that, right? Right. Yeah. Just
3: <laughs> just do the thing. The Nike just philosophy. Just do it.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you both have described, I think it's a great understanding of what professional well-being is, what organizational well-being is, with great examples as well as just deciphering between what resilience can be and what those strategies are versus stress factors. So I think those are great descriptions of what those differences are. So now let's get into why, you know, why are we talking about this? Uh, As a nurse myself, you know, I understand the demands placed on a nurse, let alone the stressors during COVID. So why are we talking about the importance of professional well-being when it comes to the nursing profession? And I know Dr. West and Dr. Thayer, you had provided me with some statistics that were alarming in a way. And I think it's important for us to, you know, get into those and let our listeners know what you found. One thing that I thought was
0: very interesting in looking up what well-being has looked like in the field of nursing, the field of nursing actually really was one of the first to recognize high levels of burnout, and to really start pushing for well-being. There has been documented research that has kind of traced this problem of burnout in the field of nursing all the way back to the 1950s and even before. And work has been done since then to help recognize how can we address this problem? How can we address this problem of burnout in the field of nursing? And so first, I you know I was kind of surprised to see that, but it makes a lot of sense. Uh, this is a very high stress job, very demanding. Often the work that goes in to nursing is is potentially overlooked.
2: Well, by- and I thought I have to stress the burnout problem has been around since the 1950s. Yeah. So this is well, that's just going and just gets, you know, higher level. Burnout amidst all these crises in the past year. I mean, is and you're seeing that, right? Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it wasn't until Doctor West, until you were just talking about that. This has been traced back since the 50s, and it's like one of the first fields that I immediately was like, "Oh, is that? In what way does World War II play into that?" And the Mm -hmm. shifts in the nursing field that happened during that, and then immediately coming out of that situation. And to immediately be like, whoa, we've got way too much going on and we're burnt out already. And then now we're going on 70 years since then. And it's still, as you were saying, like some work has been done, but not much has been changed. I I literally am just now like connecting timelines, I think, together. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, Um, and I think that the other thing to to mention is that the 1950s is the first time that it's been researched, that it's been...
3: Yeah, good point. (laughs) Um, But I would, you know... (laughs)
0: Put money on that! In every war, every time, anytime that nursing has been around, so like all the well, way. has back.
3: nursing been around? Yeah, like I, I was, was like, I don't know,
0: all the way back to you know Hippocrates, Nightingale, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes. That <laughs> this has been a problem, uh, and I think that that's even more evident over this last year. And so, Dr. Thayer actually found an article that was talking about some survey responses from travel nurses who were vital during COVID and it is not surprising but just so disheartening to know that two out of three felt that they were unsupported in their work and 40% of the nurses who completed that survey felt less committed to the field overall and 25% were already right now seeking alternative employment
2: mm-hmm.
3: and that's just one survey we found by the way i we did like a panel i meant to find this one too in preparation for this podcast but we did a separate panel on this very topic and a completely different survey of a different like uh subgroup of nurses and basically found the exact same statistics it was like almost oh, a perfect match oh wow yeah uh, so i can dig around and find that so that we can have it in the show notes but it, it was like weird eerie that very similar percentages were being reported across these two different subdisciplines. Do you remember that? Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about, Dr. West? We brought, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yes. When I saw these, I was like, is this the same survey? It's not. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Uh, You know, I can kind of believe it at the same time, but yeah, you know, there's already a shortage of nursing. So yeah, Mm -hmm. like you said, you know, it is disheartening to see that. When was that survey? Was that, that was just in 2021. So Mm -hmm. that would be amidst the issues involving COVID. So them seeking out. Other employment, so oh, and, you know, we're already in a big hurt. You know, with baby boomers are going to be coming, and then we have uh, nurses. So the well-being is so important right now. We really got to think about the future and address these stressors, address them, decrease them. And in addition to the resilient factors or re- resilient strategies that you were discussing, right?
3: Yeah,
2: um, they all coincide. And you know, also, you know, recently I was discussing with some other nurses this past weekend about how sleep plays a big role, you know, and this has been ongoing issue, eight hour shift versus 12 hour shifts and, and how lack of sleep can contribute to burnout. So there's been a lot of controversial talks on, you know, the pros and cons surrounding that. So what are your thoughts on sleep involved upon all of this as well?
3: So I'm laughing just because Dr. Stop. West and I interviewed my, my mentor from graduate school. And we were talking about organizational well-being. And I think maybe a, a fourth of the, <laughs> the interview ended up being on sleep. Um, it's oh. been an ongoing <laughs> discussion. So uh, this is tracking in a very yeah, <laughs> similar direction. Um, I'm just going to say it's important. And I, there's all sorts of ways that we can address this, I think, organizationally yeah just an
2: example how, how do you what would you suggest so, to an organization
3: my go-to example that we did that i absolutely loved is we actually had nap closets on site and everyone actually had built into their breaks um times to like take a nap during the day and so it was that was in lieu of going out to the starbucks in the lobby and getting a coffee it's like you know what What you actually might need is to co-close your eyes for a little bit and get off your feet and so like i just love that idea <laughs> so,
2: nap closet
3: a nap closet yep
2: mm-hmm. oh I like
0: it. I like it. And just for me on sleep personal note, I have a nine month old daughter. So as we've been going through this process, I've been extremely sleep deprived for for Mm -hmm. much of it. And it's just been the last month that I've gotten a full night of sleep. And you don't realize how important sleep is Mm -hmm. um, until you are getting enough of it again.
3: (laughs) Yep.
2: Right. Yeah. It's amazing. You can still function, right? You're like, how am I functioning right now? And in a lot of what there's research out there on sleep and, you know, healthcare workers and usually how the last, you know, few hours of their shift is where errors occur. And so Uh that's something to consider, you know, and I know, I know what you mean by having young children and and still functioning, but how well are you functioning? You know, I'm putting the milk in the cupboard instead of the fridge <laughs> and not realizing it. <laughs> so. Um,
3: Have you actually I, done that? Please tell me you've done that. No. Oh, okay. No. She's on. She's on top of things. You don't want to to
0: Well, I, I, I think that's the key piece, right? Is that you try, Uh, you try to stay on top of things, but if you're consistently running off of, you know, five or even six hours of sleep, that's not enough for Mm -hmm. most adults. And so if we think about what is actually recommended that eight hours, how many of us are actually getting eight good hours of sleep every night?
3: Yeah. And on this, I mean, you were talking earlier about the shifts that nurses do, like in one of the studies we pulled, they found that working 21 hours within nursing, 21 mm-hmm. hours a week was predictive of an increase in um, workplace errors. Right. So like that's half the, 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 the typical work week, but that's just the stressors are so high. So if you're a nurse and you're running, like if your schedule is even just two twelves, you're already passing a 20 hour mark where mm-hmm. errors start to increase. And then you toss on potential sleep deprivation on top of that. And then how many nurses are only doing two 12 shifts a week? Like that's not happening um, if you're full time. And so it's almost like a whole shift is getting sacrificed in terms of efficiency and like health.
2: Right. It just, and I, I know it, it works for a lot of them. Love it. A lot of nurses, you know, the three shifts. Yep. I, you know, I loved doing I like the, it. all you know, this time off, but mm-hmm. yeah, that it's definitely something to consider and think about. And Something just taking care of ourselves and knowing when it's time not to keep pushing yourself. And, Mm -hmm. and what I wanted to bring up what I was, where I was going with this was during COVID, I know a lot of organizations were requiring overtime to take care of these patients. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that was a stressor. (laughs) Of course, not, I'm sure it was a stressor for them. And at the same time, the nurses are trying to, that's their duty to take care of these patients. Yeah. You get into your own personal thinking of morals and feel guilty Mm -hmm. or, you know, it it goes beyond that. So I, I didn't have to work in the, in the clinical setting. And so, you know, I always checked in with my fellow nurses, see how they're doing and friends. And I know they were tired, but at the same time, nurses are just, that's just what I had to do. That's that's yeah. my duty. So very, very thankful for all those nurses out there that had to work in those hard times and still hard times. There's a lot of yep. shifting, a lot of changes happening and will continue to happen. So thank you for all those out there, all of our healthcare workers listening right now. We appreciate you. Definitely. Yes.
3: And that's a good example, by the way, of when, when the circumstances of the work kind of preclude an organization from being able to reduce the stressors, right? You're in the middle of a crisis and you've got to be able to take care of these people. And maybe you just don't have enough people to go around in order to Mm -hmm. cover enough of the time. So everyone's being asked to increase how much they're working. That's when those like resilience factors and when the organization can support that and say, we know you're super swamped, but we're going to try and do some things to make sure you're staying on on top of your game. That's when that stuff is really, really helpful. You know, the Mm -hmm. the alternative option is like they could have in an ideal world just hired more nurses to cover those shifts and cover those time blocks. But like, that's not always reasonable, right? That's not feasible. So that's when I'm definitely a big proponent of whatever you can do to help nurses. If they're working over time on using some of those resilient strategies that kind of are out there, that's really good support. And that's kind of what I'm, I'm hoping at least some got while they're doing that work.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I hope. Even just ensuring that you're able to take enough time for you know lunch or taking those breaks in those, you know, 12. Go to the
2: bathroom. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. These, these statistics will link these to our website. So you can um, maybe view them a little bit more if you're interested. This is why it's important. It's a larger scale that needs to be addressed. And I think what you guys have told us in the why aspect of why we're talking about well-being it's definitely out there we all know you know so let's get into the how how can we ensure the well-being of our workforce um what are some resources that you could let our listeners know of
3: okay so We did, in graduate school, develop the adult resilience curriculum, which was originally for teachers, which is another discipline that has at least 40 years of research on its burnout. So we took a bunch of that stuff and developed this curriculum on kind of universal practices that the research supported were helpful, and now have been applying it to the healthcare with physicians and nurses um, and really trying to use that. So it is a collection of practices. You don't have to do all of them that's kind of like one of the main things is you're able to go through it. And some of the things you're going to be familiar with, some of these things you might have an idea of, maybe you've heard of, but never had a real chance to practice or it hasn't been really clear and apply those. So this is very much a well-being promotional program, but it's got other aspects to it. It's got like, if you're implementing it, ideally you're going through it with a partner. So you've got some social connections and community there. And there's time built in by the organization to make sure that you know, time is set aside for you to go through the curriculum and to engage in some of the activities and reflect upon those and check in on them. Ideally, going through the curriculum is rewarded and incentivized in some way so that it helps you keep up with it if you're in healthcare. So those are some of the kind of like the hows. I mean, that's also very much a what, like doing a kind of well-being program, but the how is more of the supports around it, like having that practice community. And there's a lot of organizations, by the way, outside of healthcare that do this really well. And I think it's okay for us to look at other industries. And some of the stuff that is in the ARC, the adult resilience curriculum, is pulled from other industries. Um, So if I can just talk about one, for example, Mm -hmm. Johnson & Johnson, I know right now that there's some kind of like discussion around some of the products they promote, but they do have a practice where they offer a ton of programs and then you're incentivized to team up with somebody. And it's actually like built into their day. They have this program where employees come on and they're part of kind of a well-being community and your engagement with that is as much as you want, but they provide that support there. So like, that's kind of a how of the process for doing some of this stuff.
0: And if we just a little bit more specific about the adult resilience curriculum or ARC, it is 10 modules with the module zero that tells you how to use the program.
3: Yeah.
0: And it can be it can be used individually to help you develop your own personal recipe for well-being. Um, so what strategies, what skills work really well for you? And then it does have that organizational context. And so from an organization perspective, helps look at how can we make working here, what can we do to decrease some of those. You know, stressors that are within our control and to optimize the resilience of our staff. And then it looks at it from the, the context, the organization from the individual as well. So what can we do to advocate for some of these changes? How do we approach our organization? What do we do to help create some of that organizational change? And right. so really attacking it from, from both of those levels at the organizational standpoint, and then providing many, many, concrete things that you can take and use to address your own well-being. So kind of that that yes and both your personal well-being and that organizational piece.
2: So can you provide an example or challenge that you have encountered or seen with others or an organization and how it was approached when eliminating stressors or implementing resilient strategies? Is there like something that our learners could even maybe walk away with knowing and implement?
3: I'm, I'm just going to throw out there the, the best one is quite honestly, if you can find some way to formalize a partner or a team mm-hmm. that's doing it. If I can pull from another industry, there's a center at Yale, the Center for Climate Communications, that has done a lot of cool studies on contagion effects and has just found that when one person changes their behaviors, even if it's, even if like the system is still kind of the perpetrator, some of the stress factors, you know, when one individual kind of tries to push back against that a little bit, it can be a little bit of a contagion and spread to others and they start engaging in that. And so I think in this case, if an organization can help set up partnerships mentorships or setting up teams where the explicit focus is on doing a resilience program of some kind whether it's arc or something else and making that like this is kind of part of your professional identity now is to engage in this that's probably one of the biggest things that you can take away and it doesn't necessarily take a leader to do that it certainly helps if a leader formalizes it Um, but if if you're listening to this and you were like, heck yeah, I want to kind of help me and my colleagues take care of ourselves, you can be that change person and mm-hmm. help create that community a little bit and really start encouraging. Let's let's make a few changes here and there for our, for our benefit. Maybe you make the sleep closet. I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, sure. But I would say make it a team, team-based and, effort.
2: And you have a good point. It only takes one person to initiate, right? And get the yeah. team going, so... Yep. Uh, we can link that ARC, that tool within the website as well. We're going to have a, quite a bit of resources. Yeah. That. <laughs> <laughs> so. I just
0: wanted to add, I, I just, it just reminded me, one of our interviewees, Dr. Cook, he referred mm-hmm. to it as uh, a civil protest. Yeah. And so, as an individual, if you're listening and you're like, my organization, maybe you don't know if they care or you think they're missing the mark, you can look at it as an act of civil protest. Go. <laughs> kind of step up and uh, yeah. push for some of those changes.
3: And that's how a lot of times those changes are made from the bottom up is like you start doing things, you get a partner, another colleague who's doing it. And somebody in middle management or someone's going to notice and say, like, hey, I think this is being helpful or beneficial. Maybe we should continue this and spread it to other, you know, departments within the clinic and take it up higher. And that's that's the way individuals can kind of do things.
2: Yeah, and by moving the organization toward resiliency can improve morale Mm -hmm. um, and therefore resilience. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I I know we could go on and on with the both of you, but do either of you have any additional items or uh, strategies or anything that you would like our audience to walk away with from today? Well, I, I made
0: Dr. Thayer talk about the adult resilience curriculum. So, I guess I we'll bring up our podcast. Dr. Yeah. Thierry and I are co-host for a podcast called Burnout Busters, and it is a podcast by healthcare professionals for healthcare professionals where we talk about all things well-being. And we, we have a limited first season. We have six episodes out for season one, and in each of those, we had guest speakers come who are living this day-to-day life. We had a nurse come and speak to us. We've had Um, psychiatrists and physicians kind of across the board people and asking them, how do you live out well-being in your day-to-day? And so in each of those episodes, I, I know I loved so many of the activities and we walked away with some really good tangible pieces of things that you can put into practice right now. So you can check out our episodes. We have episodes about stress, organizational well-being, mindfulness, engaging in community,
2: living in tune with your values, and then also talking about secondary traumatic stress. All great information, yes. We will provide that, and then we will link all the other resources as well that they have provided today on the how of how do we implement strategies. Dr. Thayer, do you have anything else to add?
3: Uh, I don't have anything else really to kind of like (laughs) plug or anything, but you know, Mm -hmm. on, on the topic of how I guess kind of what I want to throw out there and encourage people to listen to at least take in and and contemplate a little bit is that the how is really, when we're talking about the how well-being, especially for nursing, it's recognizing, I think we're at a point now where we have enough research that says this is a problem. We've had decades of recognizing this as a problem. And so part of the how now I think is really thinking through those individual, but also kind of those policies level stuff and just like, How do we want to get involved and what ways do we want to get involved? And to go back to what Dr. West was saying about the civil protest aspect, really encouraging people to kind of take that, perhaps that mentality on a little bit and help change some of these systems a little bit Mm -hmm. so that the organizations can support it and recognizing that it's going to be a long game. There's never, it's never going to be a perfect system. And so in some ways, kind of embracing that long-term vision and Mm -hmm. finding what we can do each and every day to kind of make those changes. Um, Just for an example, Dr. West and I are on the same team with MHTTC and we've actually been doing now ARC ourselves during some of our meetings, just kind of working through it. And that was a change that our team and especially our leader said, you know what, if we're going to be helping organizations do this, we need to be doing it ourselves. And so that was just a change that started happening and now we have time blocked off for that. And so it's like small little changes like that. And Mm -hmm. I definitely think nursing as a field just historically, and what happened over COVID is poised, I think, and in, in need to make those changes.
0: And if we can have something good come out of 2020 and, and even 2021 <laughs> at this point, um, as a field, I hope that it is that we are now primed and we are looking and we're standing at this precipice of making some real changes uh, yes. to better the well being of nurses and physicians and everyone who is working in the field of healthcare. Mm-hmm.
2: So, Well, thank you, Hannah and Jordan, for these uh, great discussions today. This was all very helpful and I'm sure this discussion hit some emotional hotspots with our listeners and hope there are a few tools that everyone finds useful. Dr. West and Dr. Thayer provided quite a bit of information today, including some valuable resources, take a peek at the RN Huddle website where you can view these important resources as well as other hot topics. We will also link you to MHTTC's website where you can locate their wonderful Burnout Buster podcast and check out other episodes on their site and future episodes on RN Huddle related to stress, organizational well-being, mindfulness, community values, and secondary traumatic stress. This will be a quarterly series with MHTTC and stay tuned to RN Huddle and we'll see you next time.
1: Wow. This presentation has just been incredible. It's been very rich and dense with pearls that you can use in your practice. I can't believe how much diligence has been put into this project. And Dr. Steyer and West, we just thank you so much for this tireless work that you're doing to improve the practice of those around you. Renee, thank you so much for leading the discussion and thank you to all who are listening to this. I really hope that this has been beneficial for you. And I hope that you'll tune in for the next episode of RN Huddle.
0: Thank you for listening to RN Huddle. To stay connected, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at UNMC CNE or check out unmc.edu CNE for more program information.